0: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is your host, Steffi Cohen, and today with me we have Hayden
1: Bo trying to squeeze me out there.
0: Hayden Bo. <laughs> Hello, Hayden. How you doing? Hayden, oh, how are you?
1: thank you, thank you. And me, Ian thank Cantwell.
2: you. Hold the applause for later. (laughs) I'll get a standing ovation when we're done.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This podcast today is brought to you by Hybrid Performance Method.
1: Hey, everything we do is sponsored (laughs) by everything we do.
0: Yeah, that's right, my babies.
1: So thank you, us.
0: Yeah. So if you're looking for training programs, we got you covered. If you're looking for nutrition coaching, we got you covered. If you're looking for the sickest apparel in the game, we got you covered. If you're looking for a dope gym in Miami, we got you covered.
1: Hey, speaking of apparel. Yeah. Cyber Monday, Black Friday. Yeah. Big days. Big days. Big days. That was, uh, we brought back everybody's four favorite designs Mm -hmm. Arnold, Vader, the comic book and the Metallica design nailed it I thought for sure I was going to forget the Metallica one because I always forget it Mm -hmm. but uh, yeah that was great those were awesome they sold super fast super pumped thanks to uh, everybody who bought a shirt (laughs) 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 thank you Uh, what else is new? what are we doing? what else is
0: new? I don't think there's anything new for this week.
1: We move into the our new warehouse uh, yeah. this month. We're moving hmm. into
0: the new warehouse. We'll have a legit podcast studio, huge upgrades, um, legit filming studio. We're going to do our own printing so we can release more limited quality, uh, limited quality, limited quantity. quantity, t-shirts, more cool stuff.
1: Yeah, like one-off, uh, you know, limited runs. Yeah. All that good stuff. We're gonna be your fitness hype beast.
0: Yeah, that's brand the goal in no time. That's the goal. I mean, we're 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 already doing that. We're pretty hype yeah. beasty.
1: That's true. That's yeah. true. We're just taking it to the next level now.
0: We're the off white of fitness.
1: Oh, I like that.
0: We're the on black. No, that doesn't make any sense. I just wanted to say something similar but <laughs> different. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, somebody
1: get, somebody take that soundboard away from her. <laughs> She's getting carried away. Um, in other news, I just got to listen to half of Ian's second, uh, podcast with the muscle doc on mm-hmm. RX radio. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I How feel smarter like that? already. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. A lot of good stuff. If you guys haven't uh, listened to that, definitely check him out. Mm-hmm. Um, today, speaking of Ian and nerdy topics, We wanted to talk about the importance of technique. How important is it? Is it a fad? Is it a fad? (laughs) Is it the next CBD?
0: (laughs) Is it the next snake oil? What's the
1: gray area? All that that good stuff.
0: Yeah, I think we, we wanted to have a conversation about technique and biomechanics and how those things influence pain and movement. Because it is time for the world to know the truth. Over the last few years, and I would say for the majority of the last few years, I think that we've been having the wrong conversation and the wrong information's been getting out there as far as how important technique is, when is technique important, and what are the things that we need to uh, pay attention to. So I think that the misconception that biomechanics and technique highly influence pain is highly misguided. And it's time for us to change the narrative. So that's what we're going to be talking about today.
2: Yeah. So let's set the the scene. All right. What does the industry look like? We have the, the technique evangelists, mm. right? <laughs> I who, like that. who espouse good technique over everything, mm-hmm. right? Who teach technique seminars, who coach technique over the internet, mm-hmm. who, you know, who... Run out into the middle of the gym and interrupt people who are lifting with bad technique.
1: Oh, those guys are the worst.
2: <laughs> and you, you, they enlist an army of technique aficionados who then employ their certification to then take it upon themselves to police technique in every gym, Yeah, in every sh- corner of the gym around the world. Do we have one of those here?
0: <laughs> no, I don't think so.
2: We weeded them out. All right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not they were, allowed.
2: Eventually, they overstay their welcome. I think that's
0: that's part of the um, when the terms and conditions when you sign up for hybrid uh, gym.
1: Do you care way too much about technique?
0: If the answer is yes, yes, then you're, you're not out. allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And right, we want to. We can
2: make fun of it, but but we understand now. That there's a reaction to that. I mean, that might be inside baseball for therapists because I think the dominant paradigm is still technique is everything. If there's something wrong, technique is the solution, mm-hmm. right? If uh, if someone doesn't move or doesn't look a certain way or doesn't move a certain way, they're a ticking time bomb. You need to change everything about them. You need mm-hmm. to cut their femurs in half and you need to right, give them some sort of assistance to make sure that they never make a mistake again, mm-hmm. right? And every time they make a mistake, you're rolling the dice, you're playing Russian roulette
1: with, are with you your sp- deadlifts. Are you speaking about technique on the, the baseball field or in the gym? Uh, or both? Both. Anything.
0: Yeah. Do you ever Anything. see, them, do you ever see the I think money? Uh, I think that's another though? thing. People mm-hmm. fail
2: to make the distinction between things that are very dissimilar. If like, one technique is good for one thing, it must be good for everything. Mm-hmm. If there's a risky technique in one thing, it must be risky for everything. Mm-hmm. So it's just a failure to to make it, you know, a distinction and a difference. But then you have the other side of the argument, which most people aren't exposed to, which is what we want to talk about too, and we want to try to reconcile those things. So the other side of the argument is none of it matters. There's no God. There is <laughs> n- <laughs> there's no truth. It's all subjective, right? It's the uh, your Dostoevsky of of training. You know, there's no, nothing is real. It's all it's all in the mind of the of the individual trainee. So we don't really know anything.
0: I think the truth always lies somewhere in the <laughs> yeah. middle.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we can say that. But they but the point is those people, many people not, have not been exposed to those people, but they have a point to be made,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which is that we don't really know what those relationships are when we start asking those questions. Right. Right. Can we identify bad technique? can we modify, how much can we actually modify technique?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Do we know that what we think of as bad technique, which is undefinable to begin with, actually reliably predicts injury? If we then modify technique, assuming we can, does that change the risk of injury? Mm-hmm. Like those are a lot of questions that need to be answered that actually have never been reliably answered mm-hmm. because they all present their own, you know, logical holes. Only when your logic is incomplete, it's like, I know this this position seems to be more stressful than that position therefore it's bad right Mm -hmm. you're 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 undistributing middle sections of that you know that logic it works internally but doesn't make sense in practice
0: I think that maybe saying that you can't define bad technique I think I don't think there's I think that should we should talk about that like coming from powerlifting for example where where movement matters so much and like one 1 inch forward or forward or 1 inch back can make the difference between a made or a missed lift mm-hmm. i think there's something to be said about maybe having a conversation about when you could deem something as bad technique like for what purpose mm-hmm. so while mm-hmm. there's no clear connection or correlation between a particular style of lifting or technique and directly correlated to a particular injury mm-hmm there's something to be said about refining and improving your movement efficiency for the purpose of maximizing your performance.
1: That that's actually exactly what I've always said, especially Mm -hmm. in regard to one Mm -hmm. or not one in many, but there's one that stands out in my mind, one instance in particular, and it's when people will see someone squatting and the, you'll see someone have uh, like a mild butt wink Mm -hmm. and people will ask or they'll tell you it's bad, or they'll ask, "Is but is butt wink bad?" Mm. And the I the answer that I've always said is, "It depends what for." Yeah. Like, is a mild butt wink going to break your back? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But yeah. and we don't want to tell it, people that, right? No, right, mm. right. Yeah, like <laughs> Steffi says, you should always learn the rules before you break the rules. Mm. But then also, it is bad if you know it's something that's causing. Uh, loss of tension in the bottom of the squat, yeah, and it's affecting your power output. Yeah, or you're dumping
0: you're, your chest forward, or whatever. Yeah,
1: so it it can be bad for other reasons than just it having the potential to injure you.
0: So again, I think I do think that correct form or technique or biomechanics, however you want to call it, hmm. matters at the extremes. But like anything, you first need to learn the rules before you break the rules. You learn the construct and the rules essentially that are governing human movement, the basics, Mm -hmm. right? You'll learn how should an individual sit and stand, like what's the angle of the knee, what's what's the angles that the ankle can reach, what's Mm -hmm. the uh, neutral spine position, right? But it's just like a basis or a platform or a base from which then you have to develop your coaching skills and understanding of what mo- human bo- uh, human movement looks like, right?
2: Yeah, and those are theoretical constructs. In practice, those are all ranges and individually applied.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right,
2: so what that means is, and also most of it's self-organized. Like You only need to tell most people to sit and stand. Mm-hmm. And then they get a basic sense of what squatting is. And then the acceptable range of, of movement variability one naturally and two probably should reduce as the load gets heavier and as the speed gets higher, right? Because that's when the costs are higher. But mm-hmm. most people aren't anywhere close to that. So most people have a lot of wiggle room in, t- in terms of figuring it out and mm-hmm. actually excluding options from them might, mm-hmm. might
1: rob them of the opportunity to learn which options work best for them. That, yeah, absolutely. That's, that's why where I think, uh, You know, coming from a a background in Olympic weightlifting, that was something that that I loved about the old school style of coaching, Mm. where not only was there not really any over analysis of the lifts, but Mm. it was just kind of like, hey, idiot don't do this thing you're doing wrong. And you're like, Oh, I have to figure out how to do it right. And you yeah. do your best attempt at that. And then your coach will say, still did it wrong, but yeah. this part was a little bit better. And they give you the opportunity oh. to, to, like you said, figure it out for yourself. And actually, or they just hit you with a dowel and don't say anything. Yeah. And then Dude, you my, the... my first coach <laughs> yeah. used to hit us with a bamboo stick. Yeah. yeah. He used to call us, <laughs> heli- no. which I'm pretty sure means piece of shit in, uh, Arabic. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. Nail me nice. with a stick. Shout out to uh, Hanny Kanama.
0: that—that's that, interesting that you bring up Olympic weightlifting. <laughs>
1: that's called knowledge of results uh, feedback. Knowledge of
0: results feedback. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. So when you're trying to learn the snatch, essentially, all that you're told or all that you see is that the the barbell starts from a static position on the ground, and then you're supposed to keep the bar close, make contact at the hip, bend your elbows, and then magically uh, finish with the barbell overhead mm-hmm. in a squat position, right? Mm-hmm. But it's if you see different lifters from different heights and different body types, different and different proportions, how they get from A to B. So from floor to overhead, varies so much, right? Mm-hmm. Like the basis of the movement, the initial construct and rules of the snatch are the same essentially for everyone, but the process um, is very different. Right? right. Like you might see an early arm bend to accommodate for a longer for someone who longer has a wingspan. short torso and in long and long arm span. You might see someone that starts really far in front of the bar because they have a long torso. You might see someone that starts behind the bar with their neck uh, yeah. really hyperextended. And none of these things make the movement inherently wrong um, or. Or um, increases the chance of injuries, and it's interesting because we we don't have these types of conversations in Olympic weightlifting, right? Like when you see someone deviating from the norm, think of uh, John North, how unconventional his movement patterns were. The old right? angel. Yeah,
2: Tom Brady on a white horse, protects you from <laughs> from injury.
0: Yeah, but but I, what I'm trying to get at is. Um, for some reason, when it comes to squad bench and deadlift, people are so much more rigid with uh, the way that they think that someone else should move and um, than than in other sports or, or even in, in Olympic weightlifting to draw more, a clearer comparison.
2: Yeah, I think mm-hmm. even in field sports, it's the contrast is even more exaggerated. Mm-hmm. As in, and I think because field sport, the concept of developing skills in field sport is much more nuanced and sophisticated. Like, you don't instruct someone how to kick a soccer ball. Mm -hmm. You engineer small-sided games and playful environments and competitive... Representative structures to allow people to figure out how to kick a soccer. You
1: ball.
0: You give them the opportunity yeah. to explore movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is essentially. But do you
1: think that, that that's the case because the risk versus reward is so much lower For every in kicking a soccer ball maybe. than you know doing something weighted in the gym with also, zero knowledge or experience?
2: That's I think that's because we we assume people are more fragile than they are. It's like when people are learning the lifts, the the weights are so light. That yeah, they're so far from their kind of tolerance. That it should be equivalent to kicking a soccer ball in our yeah, minds, but, but also yeah. it's
0: it's it's um, kicking a soccer ball or pivoting in a field versus being under two hundred pounds. Being under two hundred pounds, the differences and nuances and movement are easier to spot yeah, than just... than in a field. So yeah. it, it has to be an experienced eye, right? I'll take for for take for example, um, say someone's pivoting, right? We know that during the first 20 degrees of knee flexion in mm. a pivot like a, during a transition or change yeah. of movement that's when that's when the ACL is more at yeah. risk for and, it
2: and those peak moments are higher in, in cutting than in any anything closest you know in the gym
0: right but but right. again what yeah. I'm trying to get at is it again biomechanics and form technique matters at the extremes. Mm-hmm. If you're a football player, you're cutting a lot. Mm-hmm. You're you're transition. You're um, going from from left to right, left right to left. It does matter. Like you do need someone that mm-hmm. has a trained eye that can pick up those nuances and movement mm-hmm. and figure out. Okay, like your knee is caving at the first 20 degrees of flexion. Your knee looks unstable, or you know you're wobbling too much, or you're not cutting as sharp as you should be. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. that's when I think. Refining movement is important not only for performance, but also for injury prevention.
2: Yeah, and one way I would challenge that is are, we can be confident that some people are are more experienced than others at seeing movement, but is anyone really sensitive enough to pick up where that line is? And one, do we know where the line is? And two, is is, is There's so many emerging contributors that the line is so different for everyone that we just can't assimilate that kind of information yeah right and that's why we fail to predict injuries with any sort of likelihood other than with big rock things like with workload and and even that's a hard thing to measure and to track but at least that's been shown to be specific as in people with high workloads tend not to get hurt as often as people with low workloads who have spikes in workload
0: Right. But that that doesn't mean that you can at least try, right? Yeah. Try to refine their movement, try yeah. to strengthen their muscles, yeah. try to coach them in in uh, traditional m- movement yeah. patterns, etc.
2: And I think that's also that also goes into we usually assign we retroactively assign an explanation as to why something worked or didn't work mm-hmm. without any evidence that that explanation actually explains future occurrences. What's that called Do you have post an post-hoc? example of that? We post hoc fallacy, right? Yeah, I think I put fallacy. that in the notes. But that's an example of you train someone to improve their technique. You don't really know if you actually improve their technique or you might visibly see it, mm-hmm. but you've actually just trained them a bunch. And there are other reasons why they might be more resilient
0: mm-hmm.
2: and you haven't considered those, mm-hmm. right? Which is why we need to challenge our assumptions. Yes. Cause those models, one might be wrong or they might be unnecessarily complicated
0: mm-hmm.
2: or they might not be predictive at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But we, but we need to explain our experience in some way just because that's how we make sense of, all the noise in our environment. Mm
0: -hmm. What we end
2: up doing is we just put on blinders to all the information that actually might be relevant Mm -hmm. or it might be imperceptible and we Mm -hmm. need machines to to filter it or it might just be totally not predictive. My point is we just can't assume we have an explanation for everything and then make predictions on that explanation and then further entrench our ideas based on things that we're not seeing. Right, We're ignorant of our ignorance.
1: Is there a way or a best way to read between the lines sort of thing in your opinion? The hard part is, I think, like, so, like, how do we not get stuck in in the scenario where we're just like, well, we don't have evidence. Mm-hmm. Forget technique. Everybody squat. Let your knees touch together. You know, like. Yeah, wh- I think. How do we not end up there? There are other more plausible explanations that we
2: have, and technique can be a part of it, but Let's it can't be the that. whole thing,
0: right? Can uh, Can we link a study on the like on the comment section or whatever? I don't know how this podcast world works.
2: Yeah? <laughs> we should have some show notes for this one. Yeah, yeah
0: we'll have show notes. So I, I do want to link this study that we, the three of us read before, uh, before this podcast by Greg Lehman that talks in depth about this topic. And I think it's a valuable resource mm. for anyone interested on this topic. So why don't we start by, um, let's talk a little bit more about what you just brought up. So mm. talking about the kinesiopathological mm-hmm. model, um, and what that means And what he challenges that with mm-hmm. So with the symptom modification
2: Yeah My my point for that is And it applies to anything With more than one possible contributor To an event Is we as people are very bad At, at imagining how multiple things Can contribute to one event we like to just ignore all the contributors except for what we think is the most likely one, and then per- and then all the predictive ways assigned to that one contributor. So the idea is, if I say, well, technique might contribute a little bit, but also your preparedness, and also your stress level, and also, you know, Fatigue. some random variation that's totally stochastic, like it's totally just like, literally, someone throws a ball at you across the gym, just out of no- like mm-hmm. so, just random events. So there's some sort of randomness to To make a prediction based on all those variables about whether or not someone will experience pain or an injury is just impossible for us to do Mm -hmm. because we don't have enough data Mm -hmm. and we don't, we're not, that's not how humans think. We, we have prior experiences. We think about what's most relevant in terms of those prior experiences, and we assume the future will be like our prior, our prior experience. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's how we, we make quick judgments using minimum viable information Mm -hmm the idea is though with complex things that are outside our immediate experience like the experience of another person with things that are measurable to us mm-hmm. that's reliably wrong mm-hmm. that's why that's why we we have ideas and assumptions that are reliably wrong yeah. and that's why we we reliably misremember things and we reliably you know see things we see illusions right there's just our experience can easily so easily fool ourselves which mm-hmm. is why we we think about things critically and why we test things assuming that it's not true and until there's sufficient evidence that it might be true.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's right. interesting that at least for us, there was such a huge, uh, emphasis in physical therapy school on this type of thinking, this type of model, like an issue pathological approach. Mm-hmm. Um, it's crazy, right? Cause like what they teach us in school is, uh, they teach us several hundreds of special tests or provocative tests. Yeah. And the whole premise behind, um, uh, provocative test or special test is to try to isolate and identify a particular structure that might be contributing to an individual's pain experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, you know, but, but
2: there's an additional narrative behind that, right? You're isolating the, the painful or dysfunctional tissue or structure.
0: It's simplistic, yeah, yeah, and it's flawed.
2: And we know with that the shoulder, that way is
0: totally flawed,
2: right? We know specifically with the shoulder and other. The knee is also a good, good example that they're almost all completely useless,
0: <laughs> except yeah.
2: for maybe one or How two, crazy. which is slightly less than completely useless.
0: How crazy is that?
2: Right, and I mean even imaging is all is almost in again. We're talking in terms of averages because that's the only way you can test in terms of averages. <laughs> is for most people not provides no additional information, right? So that inherently challenges the kinesiopathic model mm-hmm. when your models no longer are predictive of 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 any sort of you know experience or diagnostic you know criteria. Yeah. Right. So you can't make a determination based on the test. Yeah. Which assumes which has a certain theoretical foundation that movement causes pain or that pain movement damages structures which causes pain. Yeah. That logic is fundamentally broken. Absolutely. Because it doesn't lead to a result.
0: Yes. So, I mean <laughs> how come we're still so um, behind on on research in school like I graduated last year and there's
1: You have to teach you something right
0: they, yeah but that's, they should they should keep up with the literature
1: yeah but what are they gonna do they're gonna just say hey basically we know nothing and when someone comes no, into the PT clinic you no, say
0: that's not, we know oops. nothing they can say hey these are the tools I'm giving you However. Mm there's the pathological model and there's the symptom modification model and there's this and this and that and the other yeah. and give you the options yeah. and the chance to you yourself critically think and adopt f- different ways of thinking depending on the situation that you're put in
2: yeah. but isn't instead that... of
0: instead of forcing us into thinking so rigidly and always forcing us to put a square peg in a, in a circle. Yeah, okay. you yeah, know right, what I'm, I mean
2: yeah i'm in, i'm at the end of a chiropractic education same thing and i and it's funny, in chiropractic education, it's very clear that there's just a minimum legal standard that needs to be held.
1: Right, you, you were to, talking about this with Jordan. Yeah,
2: you need to pass the boards. Right. <laughs> and if you don't pass the boards, it's a problem for everyone.
0: It's a problem for them. Yeah,
2: yeah and the boards Because that are,
0: reflects on, yeah, uh, on yeah, exactly. their ability to, to teach you stuff. Yeah.
2: So, and the boards change very slowly, and the boards need algorithms. Right. And the problem is, we don't have good algorithms for people, because people can't make good algorithms for people, Machines can make good algorithms for people, but the the algorithms machines make for people, people can't understand really? because they involve thousands of data points and thirty layers. Right? We can't we I, can't do nine digit math right in our heads.
1: I thought it was interesting what you said that um, the whole industry is set up to cause uh, basically to just cause as little harm as possible. Yeah. So it, instead of helping people or giving people multiple options like you're suggesting, right, Mm. Steph? Whether you're saying like... You know They're forcing you to put a square peg in a round hole. Mm-hmm. You'd rather them give you all of these options and then you critically think yeah. to choose the best one. Yeah. The reason why they can't do that is because some people... That puts too much faith in people. Right. Some people are dumb <laughs> and Yikes. they're going to choose the wrong one in the wrong scenario and end up hurting somebody yeah. worse than if they just themselves. play that very careful game of yeah. maybe we're not going to help people, but we're definitely going to make sure we're not going to hurt people. How about people? they
0: just give us the research papers for us to read and then they don't say anything else? Like They just give us the resources that exist for best clinical practice. This. they don't say anything you just maybe make it extracurricular reading and, and have students go at it if they want
2: Yeah I think I think some schools do do that when the faculty is are, are up to date on the research but
0: that's what I'm saying yeah. they should be yeah. like the fact that that my spine curriculum was so heavily outdated and misguiding it's mm. insane to me mm. like my spine professor used to tell me not to deadlift that I'm gonna break my back my <laughs> spine professor when he used to see me come in with my barbell, he'd be like, "You gotta stop doing that. You're gonna break your back." You know? so like how's
2: that for broken? <laughs>
0: yeah, hey? yeah. Only thing I'm breaking is world records, baby. You
2: <laughs> know what I'm saying? Yeah. But I think it's also funny because it's because <laughs> where people s- <laughs> where people start. I imagine the harm that personal trainers can do with almost no education is right, they miss red flags. I mean, they're unlikely to see red flags, but they'll miss them. They just have no context for the harm that they could be doing for, to people. Then you go to PT school or Cairo school, you can create a ton of harm, but that's a different, different, different amount of harm. <laughs> you know. Can, anyway, you can... <laughs> I don't want to get into it. But <laughs> you know when to recognize, at least with a clinical degree, when something really bad might happen. Yes. And now you can make sure that that happens as little as possible, but you, but unless you take, you're proactive about it and you take the initiative, you're still likely to tell people things and make people do things that could be harmful to them Yeah. and create dependent and you're incentivized to create dependency that's harmful to them, unless you're in an, an alternate healthcare model like a capitated model or, or, or one of these integrated delivery services where you're actually incentivized to keep people healthy. Yeah. But most people operating fee-for-service, mm-hmm. they want to charge as much service as they can. That inherently presents problems for people who don't already feel a sense of self-efficacy that they, that, they, that they just want to get back to what they're doing. Most people, like, most people may feel that way, but there's a subset of people who are just vulnerable to to deception and to and to helplessness most people are. yeah well i yeah. don't know i don't know what the numbers are but I, mean, I think what? our circle i think in our athletic world most people are pretty capable and they feel capable and they might be some people might be vulnerable
0: no i don't know because in the presence of a figure of a figure of mm. authority yeah it's hard to ignore what mm. they're what they're telling you right like yeah. you're more inclined to listen to what your your um chiropractor or yeah. or a physical therapist or physician assistant or primary care physician is telling yeah. you yeah. because they're talking to you from above right from a from a, yeah.
1: a, you, a kind of I like think my, highly
0: trained prof- expertise or expert opinion you've so chosen
1: to go to them because you're you deferring in, to their yeah but
0: there's some things that opinion. might not
1: compute if they tell you not to deadlift you're like
2: but like i'm fine and i deadlift 500 pounds that doesn't make sense to me Right, sure. Dude,
0: have you ever, have you never met someone that's like, oh no, I I stopped doing deadlifts because my doctor told me about. You've never met that person?
2: Yeah, I've met that person, but they're generally not like super strong and active high level already. lifters. Yeah, like oh, I got the seven hundred pound deadlift, and my doctor told me I shouldn't do it anymore, so I stopped. I, I mean, mean, that I person know. probably exists. Yeah. There's but, a
0: high level lifter who was told to not deadlift for eighteen months.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah. I think that person's deadlifting again. But yeah, he is deadlifting you know, again.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. I think, but, but yeah. yeah,
2: the the. What's what I wanted a- to bring up with that is that, pe- that there is a ton of harm people do just with their, their choices as figures of authority and as clinicians yes. and also the words they use yeah. and the narratives they give. Again, narrative is a, is a common word we use now, but it's really this, the explanation you give that you really have no basis for.
0: Absolutely. And that you
2: can easily choose another one that is more empowering for the, for the patient and for you except it robs you of your authority a little bit right It, it puts the patient back into the, to, as the hero of the yeah, story you need, and not you. you need
0: to leave your legal outside the door yeah. because currently the narrative that's being used it's the presumption that you need to correct a particular movement to mm. fit the ideal movement and that the correction that you're giving them has a potential to yeah. eradicate right. or reduce their you're pain. The movement is, expert. Uh, pain.
2: You you're the move yes. next, so you deliver movement. Yes. And the Cairo is the is the adjuster. They deliver the adjustment. Yeah. Sounds like a superhero. Right, right. You fix. Right. You're the he- like I've, I've really heard people say it really. You know, turned me off. It was like, don't you want to be a hero? Don't you want to fix people? hmm What's like, that? No. Somebody, somebody at like a chiropractic conference. That should
1: said be that. our next shirt. It's just cap, but like, <laughs> buffed out, and it just says the adjuster. <laughs>
0: Yeah, all right.
1: Oh, it'd be so good. <laughs> I'm pretty
2: sure I know like 50 people who would buy it. All
1: Those would be the only 50 people. But uh, what else you got for us?
0: Yeah. So okay, let's talk about uh, symptom modification and what it's good for. So when let's just talk about let's talk about the spine to kind of simplify things a that. little bit so uh, those two studies that are referenced in the study that we read by McGill and Iskra or whatever her name is the other person that wrote that article so they mentioned that they there's there were was it a, uh, a case study I don't know they had a patient who was having pain during squatting.
2: The patient was a case study, yeah.
0: A case study, okay. So they had a patient who was having pain with, with squatting, and they identified that their pain was being caused by excessive lumbar flexion at the bottom of the squat. So essentially, they instructed this patient to uh, reduce the amount of flexion of the lumbar spine, uh, activate the lats more to provide more stability, and increase uh, torso stiffness. That was mm-hmm. kind of like their premise. And they, they essentially think about it as correcting their technique, right? We're going to fix your technique. We're going to change this and substitute it for that. And they view it as a kind of like a biomechanical correction. Mm -hmm. But, um, what it really is, is they're modifying the symptoms to allow them to do, uh, the movement Mm -hmm. in a pain-free manner.
2: Yeah. And I think what we agree upon is that that has the potential to improve. And also that has the potential to improve performance so the attention to improve symptoms. It's like you're just creating more stiffness, mm-hmm. right? And people f- will feel stronger with more stiffness mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. But it comes with all this other baggage yeah. that people internalize. And that might have a short-term benefit because, oh, my movement's being fixed. I, I expect relief from that. Mm-hmm. But long-term, the downstream effect of that is... I can only move this way if I want to be pain-free. Right. And whenever I don't move this way,
0: I'm going to get I'm, I'm hurt. I'm doing damage.
2: Yeah. Right. And if I feel any sort of hurt, right, I must be doing damage. So you've you haven't you have not you have missed an op- Not only are you instilling limiting thoughts, but you've missed an opportunity to separate hurt from harm or pain from damage. Yes, which, absolutely. Which is what needs to be separated, especially mm-hmm. in back pain, because back pain is one of the one of the classic examples of. Pain is not predictive of any sort of tissue yeah. status in, yeah. in the spine.
0: Yeah. We well, right. essentially, our aim, our aim should be to, to modify these symptoms in order to demonstrate to their patient that their pain is reducible and controllable. Mm-hmm. Like that's the bottom li- line uh, for symptom yeah. modification, you know, empowering the patient mm-hmm. to understand their pain, why they're feeling it and, and break the link between movement and pain. In and one mind. thing I,
2: I got from Craig Liebenson was a uh, positive experience with movement. Yeah. That's what you're trying to deliver mm-hmm. instead of an adjustment. Mm-hmm. And the idea that movement makes it better, right? Because most people, a lot of people will say, oh, it, get, it gets worse when I move. Or some people will say it's, you know, it gets better when I move. And then yeah. you just affirm that. Yeah. But some people think that moving makes is, them is worse. dangerous. Yeah. Right. So you need to show them that it's not because in almost all cases it's not.
0: Yeah.
2: And then... And then you can see that they they right they have control over their symptoms because yeah. they can always move right right and then motion is lotion motion right motion is lotion oh, yeah. I like motion that. motion is capacity. lotion and lotion is motion yeah know what essentially. I mean yeah motion start <laughs> yeah. a yeah,
0: skincare line oh, <laughs> called call
2: motion just call it motion just call it motion. motion I actually like
0: it motion, motion lotion,
1: lotion? <laughs> sounds a little dirty I have,
0: I have an interesting story about that so. Um, most people, when they when they have a back injury, mm. the first thing they want to do is get imaging. Yeah, right. The first thing they want because they want to see what's happening, what's wrong, what's broken, yeah. what he, needs to be fixed. They want clarity. They want. They want they clarity want a picture. and they want a one sentence answer. Yeah. You have a slip disc. You have a herniated disc. You have yeah. a broken facette,
2: subluxation. You have a
0: subluxation. <laughs> right. They want. They're craving that like one sentence answer to kind of like blame all their issues and mm-hmm. all of their pain on. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, like we said that neither provocative tests nor diagnostic tests are accurate in identifying sources of pain, Mm -hmm. right?
2: Because there isn't one source of pain. Because there's
0: no one source of pain. And in fact, when it comes to low back injuries, we do see that the norm is to have something in your spine, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's a, what was the percentage in, in the study that we read? It was like it, it, 40 it, something it, percent of, of people in their 20s have yeah. some sort of disc herniation. Asymptomatic. Asymptomatic, disc herniation. You're asymptomatic.
2: And it's sliding up to almost 100% as, as said, you age. Uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So the norm is to, to, as you age, as you get older, yeah. as you use your body, is that you'll have some sort of wear and tear. However, wear and tear is not directly correlated with pain. And that's something that we need to keep hammering. And uh, where I was going with this was, I've been battling back pain for years yeah. now, about three that, years.
2: That's one, th- before you go, the one thing Greg <laughs> Lehman always says that I love, yeah. when people say wear and tear or bone on bone or whatever, bone they're, on just, bone. they're just wrinkles on the inside. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you don't blame pain on your wrinkles. No it's It's normal it's a normal part of being alive and it's a normal
0: part of being human yeah
2: and it's more you, you you know use it or lose it yeah and so if you stop then that's when you're more likely things to experience worse. pain absolutely. with things you're not used to yeah
0: absolutely yeah you should always continue moving yeah, but so anyway so I've been having back pain for on and off for, for about three years um, and it used to it used to be way worse but I was because I I know all these things about diagnostic tests and imaging I was avoiding having x-rays and MRIs I didn't wanna I didn't wanna see it I didn't wanna face mm. what was underneath my skin I was kind mm. of like almost expecting the worst you know I was mm. I was like, oh, I'll probably go in, I'll get an MRI, and I'll likely have like all my discs are going to be herniated. They'll be gone. They'll be gone. I'm going to be bone on bone on <laughs> yeah. all my vertebrae. <laughs> That's what I was kind of expecting, right? Yeah. And I avoided it. Yeah. And eventually it got to a point where I just wanted to know, just for my own records, what's the status of my spine? Like, am I okay to continue doing the activities that I'm doing, or, or is it time for me to stop and just not compromise my structures anymore because it's, it's, it's causing me pain? Mm -hmm. And finally decided to go in. This was a few months ago, actually go in and got an MRI and literally had nothing, had nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Like I had like a small bulging disc, but that like wasn't.
1: Yeah. So does everybody, which is like better than, it's like better than most people, than most
0: people, legit better than most people. The status of of my spine, nothing else had nothing else. And that to me was so eye opening, And it really did allow me to finally believe what I'm preaching and Mm -hmm. what I'm teaching yeah. as far as the pain experience goes and how it relates yeah. to low back pain because I'm like man I've been having so much back pain like so intense yeah. at some points and I'm thinking I'm catastrophizing I'm thinking the worst I'm thinking that I have all these things in my spine but actually I have nothing mm. and, and I told you I'm like
2: yeah the uh, way that I'm go ahead and I think that's what blows people's most people's minds is right in terms of diagnostic utility you have sensitivity and specificity yeah sensitive. Assumes you have the condition, which is pain. Yeah. How sensitive is the test? Does it mean how often does it correctly identify that you have pain? Right. People are like, oh, the image is crystal clear. It should show every time you have pain. Yeah. Well, it didn't in your case. Yeah. Like you would think it's more, spe- you know, specific. You know, or it'd be non-specific. Like there's a lot of reasons yeah. you could, you could not experience pain. And why you'd not be in that group and you could have a lot of asymptomatic stuff. Yeah. But it's like the fact that you had a clean looking MRI and pain means it's not as sensitive as people think.
0: No, it's uh, a study. There's a study about that. It's like they did 18 people. They Mm. took they took a bunch of MRIs week after week for several months. Yeah. And and I think they demonstrated that the MRI for diagnosing back pain was only 56 percent sensitive.
2: Yeah, which is, which is terrible. Terrible. Which is be- it's a chance. 56%
0: sensitivity is terrible.
2: Yeah, which is ba- And also not... not. The, the it's pretty
0: much guesswork, man. Yeah. You have a 50-50 chance of getting it right or wrong. You have 56% yeah. chance and of, need like, to, figuring... And to get
2: a better sense of its predictive value, you need, you need specificity, because there's a little bit of math involved with that. But mm-hmm. it's basic, because you don't know how many ace people there are, or or people who don't have the condition. But in a group of people who have the condition, you're... You're, you're giving half of people a card that says you have back pain and half Pretty of people much. a card that says you don't have back pain.
0: Pretty much. <laughs> anyway, so for me, that experience um, led me to be more confident in what I'm saying, teaching and researching and confident in what I'm reading. Uh, and also just in the way that I that I um, interact with my pain. Like, for example, last week I had a flare-up after a heavy uh, deadlift session. And I was i think i was back in the gym the next day doing something moving walking doing single Mm -hmm. arm rows whatever so i i refuse to stop moving i refuse to not go to the gym and i refuse to view myself as a victim and as pain Mm -hmm. and as this back pain as something catastrophic or like the result of of a of an actual injury and today i was able to squat yeah like 10 kilos less than than uh than two weeks ago so i was pretty good
2: and i think one thing that we've spoken about before is right since you know all these things you're like well, why can't I just do it? Like why can't I just change my thoughts or like yeah. conquer this? That's like a, on my the, own. Through that's force the conversation of will. we had. Like yeah. what
0: what's the what is actually the purpose of pain science, yeah. right? Of understanding yeah. pain if you're not in control of your subconscious emotions and thoughts. Yeah.
2: And that's where I was going. It's like you're not this is this stuff isn't regulated at the conscious level. Yeah. It's built out of habit and experience. Yes. That our expectations and our sense of the world is not something that's consciously organized. Yeah. So we need to give ourselves experiences that change is a predictive value of pain. Yeah. Right. And that's where we have positive experience movement. That's where we do great exposure, where we kind of allow people to succeed against potential pain triggers. Right. That's why. We, and then gradually expose people to load yeah. where they can again, right. See progression and see that they are robust and actually yeah. build that over time.
0: Understanding. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah.
2: So that, but the foundation is understanding that pain isn't, isn't your identity or isn't oh, limiting that's you.
0: such a small part yeah. of the big picture, right? Whereas yeah. we were talking about this, we feel like pain science has become, again, another fad. Yeah. People are calling themselves pain specialists right now mm. just because they've read a few books on pain science, mm. you know, or they've done a course or whatever it is. Yeah. But, Truth is, you're not going to be able to influence someone's thoughts or perceptions around pain just mm. by telling them, hey, pain is comes from your head. It's a perception. Yeah. It well, it's like, like telling through.
2: someone
1: to stop it's- to stop being depressed when they're depressed.
0: Right. Like you you oh, know yeah. they
2: don't know what they're talking about when they say pain is in your head? Because <laughs> it's not in your head. Yeah. It's everywhere. Yeah. We have a whole conversation about that. Yeah. Because um, anyway. you can't have pain without a body and you can't have pain without a brain. So to say it's in one place or the other makes no sense. You also yeah. can't have pain without a sense of your environment or a sense of... Of how you navigate your world, yeah, right. A sense of meaning in the world.
0: Well, let's keep pain science yeah. lecture like, for but, another time. But, but go ahead.
2: Yeah, but um, you yeah, don't send them. Don't send them down that rabbit hole. But my point was yeah. pain it be a four science. Four-hour podcast. If you just pain science someone and then say I'm done, we have good evidence to suggest oh. that does almost nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Pain science is where you start. It's not where you end. Exactly. So that means you actually have to d- then deliver some sort of path to return to activity or to return to load in our case.
1: So what, if you had to...
0: That's the cap shut up alarm. <laughs> it's coming oh, from my man. computer. I thought we
1: were gonna have to shut down the podcast. I thought we, we set up a fire alarm or something. Um, so yeah, come, that's the that's end f- of
0: pain, man. Move on to the next topic, I'm bored. No, <laughs> hey,
1: we gotta give these people some takeaways. Okay,
0: fine, no, wait, no, I'm saying let's leave the pain science topic alone. No oh end. yeah, yeah, pain has so,
1: no so on the topic that we're discussing, <laughs> if we were to read through the lines, or between the lines, and give the listeners something or a few points on this topic, what's important for people to know? How can they apply it to their actual lives?
0: Does biomechanics matter? The Does answer it matter? is it depends.
1: Sometimes. Sometimes. A little, a little bit. bit, sometimes more bit,
0: sometimes, sometimes <laughs> more than others. In my opinion, you should always learn the rules and mm. understand, learn the basis of human movement and of the movement that you're trying to teach someone or that you're trying to do. Um, and then from there oh another point if there's someone hold on before i continue with the with the summary i wanted mm-hmm. to touch on something else mm. if there's someone that's moving in a slightly different way but that they've been moving that way forever is it safe to change their movement patterns it might or, be
2: dangerous to change their movement patterns. yes
0: so that's where i wanted yeah. to go go to so you should always stick to the mechanics that you've been training with because that's those are the movements and the positions that you've built resilience mm. in. That's something really important. Like yeah. I see coaches, um, see people that have been training for three, five years, and they come in to a seminar or whatever, and the the person that's teaching the seminar is trying to change their movement, mm. whatever. Bring your feet in, point your toes out, keep your chest up, whatever. You're a Chinese weightlifter now, yeah. <laughs> but you're
2: the- six five and have really long arms,
0: <laughs> and that makes no sense. So you always have to try to optimize within the framework Mm -hmm. you don't have to change the entire movement to fit your narrative of what correct movement or correct uh, technique looks like
2: and you can have a biomechanics discussion you just don't need to make it the most important thing in the world
0: yeah it's just another tool again so yeah okay so learn the basis learn the, the 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 governing movement uh pattern that you're trying to teach what's next
2: I think the idea that... Stick to
0: the mechanics that you're training Yeah, with. I think the
2: the idea is always to consider what you could be missing and that there's multiple contributors to any sort of
0: yeah. event. Yeah.
2: Or, in, or in, and also to reach any sort of outcome, there's a lot of things to consider. And yeah. then when you try to understand why something happened a certain way, always think about what you could be missing and always think of things in terms of all of the possible contributors yeah. to manipulate and which ones are controllable and which ones are not. Yeah. So the idea is if you have someone who you shouldn't necessarily change your technique, what can you modify to improve their performance or reduce their injury risk? Right. Right. Because you're always in control of multiple things. Yeah. And sometimes when you change one thing, you change a bunch of things. Yeah. So you always need to think in those terms. Yeah. Right.
0: Yep. And also, um, okay. And when else does biomechanics matter? We said at Mm -hmm. the extremes. Mm -hmm. So in, in times of high stress in terms of fatigue in, in times of fatigue in times of in high terms performance of performance demands force application yeah you're you're attempting a max attempt squad deadlift whatever it's not about doing the perfect technique but it's about sticking to the technique that you train with right mm-hmm. you shouldn't let fatigue or stress yeah. um sway you outside of the 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 form that you train in
2: yeah and it's a work in progress right yeah mistakes are part of that process absolutely
0: mm-hmm. And just because they deviate slightly from a particular mm. technique doesn't mean that they're going to get hurt either. Mm-hmm. So that's the T. That's the, the, the takeaway for That's not the T, but I'll, I'll tell you the gonna real T. We're going to get into tea. the T right now.
1: We're going to get to the T. So we've been talking a lot about squats. So why don't we uh, kick off this fitness gossip session with one of the most controversial squats in recent history. I think we touched on this lightly uh, in... Seriously, someone take that soundboard away from her. It's great. I'm kidding. I like it.
0: We're entering the fitness gossip portion of the that podcast. Did you did do what? What did you
1: what? That was a pretty uh, suggestive That was pretty good, soundbite. no? All right. So last time we spoke about how we thought Herbie, uh, Andrew Herbert, um, offered to forfeit his record. You guys remember that? Mm-hmm. We here for that? Yeah. I mean I've heard it. Okay. So apparently that whole thing was misinterpreted. How do you mislead people into thinking that okay. you forfeit your record? I'm glad you asked, Ian. <laughs> so <I'm> confused.
0: <clears throat> well that's not Osborne what I was supposed to do. Made a
1: post of Herbie's uh squat and someone asked this record was forfeited correct and he actually herbie himself actually responded to this and said no in the video i clearly say that if the powers that be were considering throwing out all of the lifts from the meat then go ahead and throw mine out but don't do it to everybody else a lot of the reposts misinterpreted this for some reason. And I didn't have the heart or energy to go around correcting every, uh, every post and every comment. So I think it's still safe to say that he's good guy, Herbie. And that's, you know, despite what you may think about the squad itself, um, he was sort of throwing himself out there as the shield, of uh, being like, because he's such a nice and likable guy that nobody really ever uh, attacks him. Yeah. So he was he was sort of saying, if you're gonna take everybody else's or you're trying not to count everybody else's lifts, then take mine away too. Yeah. Which you know it's it's a, it's still a good guy move, but it's definitely not as epic as
0: saying I don't want my squat. What? Yeah. Yeah, that would have been that would have been epic.
2: If the meat doesn't exist anymore, why don't they just take away?
1: Can you? What's the process of taking away the lift? Well, so the meat is not going to happen again. Yeah, this meat still yeah, but, but, happened and but counted. The meat has no incentive to preserve its reputation if it doesn't sure, exist anymore. But, but, but <laughs> there's still people behind that meat who are, you know, responsible for throwing that meat, uh-huh. and if everybody. You know, five people break world records, and all of a sudden they're like, "Eh, "Yeah, let's throw out all of the competition results." Those five people might be a little bit upset that their, you know, their mark in history was just removed. Yeah, but it's—I mean—it's a tricky subject because there's two sides to it. The one side is you're never going to be in a position to tell as as well as the judges who are there in person. I think in in a lot of instances that's true. But there are some lifts that are, are, you know, blatantly shouldn't be passed. And I think, unfortunately, this might have been one of them, despite how much. There should be a secondary
2: review process for world records. That's what we were saying. We saying they play. should do
1: it like in the IPF. They yeah. have, uh, you know, yeah. a pan- they don't have uh, instant replay. Olympic weightlifting is going to in 2020, which is really cool. What? Yeah. Isn't that awesome? I'm going
0: to have instant replay at the Kratos.
1: That would be cool. <laughs> that would be really cool. Yeah. but uh, yeah, Olympic weightlifting is gonna have it. It's like a hood, and
2: you go. There's a judge goes into the hood and does the instant replay. <laughs> what? Like you throw? Ch- they have a challenge system. What sport? Do they do that in a sport? Wait, well, yeah, football.
0: I have no idea. What you're oh, they throw th- th-
2: go th- go under. A th- yeah, you throw. You throw. You throw coach in my shows? country,
0: we call football soccer. Yeah, lesson on American <laughs> football. football. for I <laughs> realize I'm bonito. the only American here. You, know yeah. know what <laughs> you know
2: what So, in American football, <laughs> in this country, we when a coach disagrees with the call they throw some laundry a, a red flag <laughs> they throw it absurdly high <laughs> for no reason the ref sees that red flag and then reviews the play when they review the play probably most of the audience will know exactly what i'm talking about they they go to the nearest television camera they go under the why is it to have to be so secret I don't know, but they're playing the footage on the on the, the big screen in the stadium, and they're playing it on TV, and then the commentators are. Oh, deciding. so it's just maybe so it's just see, like, so he's it's not just like the ref. Or? The ref has to see everything, and also there's other people giving him input because there's other television. He's seeing all the television angles that the producers are giving him, and in the NBA, there's a whole secondary facility that's 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 monitoring calls that's like in New Jersey somewhere, on every game. But that there's a whole process. a whole. It's also theater now, so uh, the ref comes out from underneath the hood and then makes the call and then decides whether to reverse it or not. I see. Right? And penalizes the coach if, if he doesn't reverse
1: it. Well, we could uh, we could use a little bit of that. In I a think it, ad- it adds theater to it. Yeah, The like like coach it. can just go out and just throw a flag, and then... I like that. <laughs> Your opponent can throw a flag? That'd be cool. Yeah,
0: I like that. Yeah, right. dramatical. That what, kinda, uh, what other two do we have? That
1: leads me into the next thing, which we sort of alluded to, which is Slingshot Record Breakers is no more. They're... Uh, Jesse Burdick, who is the meat director, said that he's not going to be holding this meat anymore. And uh, his official statement that he put out um, says that there's a lot of noise regarding record breakers. The truth of the situation is that the meat became more of a problem than it was worth. With all the good things uh, it was responsible for, it brought an equal amount of negativity. That's unfortunate.
0: That's someone drinking a tea.
1: So... Yeah, you know what though? I honestly, I don't think we're we're seeing the end of Jesse Burdick as a meat director. No, I think that there was just a lot of controversy surrounding the record breaker's name, and there's been a couple years in a row where it it got a lot of heat. Some some legitimate, some some <laughs> stuff that I I didn't agree with, but uh, I think probably they're gonna. If I had to guess, I think they're gonna rebrand it just to, you know, disassociate the negativity comes along with the the name and you know maybe do another one I don't think one. that's
0: even necessary in my opinion it's remedial or you can you can fix that just have lifters lift to a higher standard next time and that's it brush it off who cares about, about what people are saying really If their lifts are legitimate and you you wholeheartedly believe they're legitimate, then you should feel okay with the results of the meet. You know what I mean? And if not, what I would have done personally would have been a public apology saying, hey, you know, you guys are heard. I I hear you. You know, maybe we didn't make the judges weren't as prepared. We didn't make the best calls in the future. However, I'm personally going to judge the meet and I'm only going to bring international directors to the meet. That's it. You know? Sure. I think. I mean, who, there, I it mean, wasn't terminal. I didn't think. Fr-
1: from all the stuff that I saw, it did. Def- it definitely seemed like the uh, the main reason for it was because of the all the controversy around it. Yeah. I mean, we're obviously not seeing the the whole picture, and maybe there's other reasons as well. Yeah. Which I think some people had alluded to in you know comments on on different posts and stuff. Yeah. But, uh, I hope he I hope he comes back yeah. with another meet. Okay, what else we got. I did that meet and and loved it. <laughs>
0: Me too. Uh, several times. Um, McGregor's fighting again?
1: Yeah. Wow. The long anticipated return of the champ champ.
0: Yeah, the second return of the champ champ.
1: The second <laughs> return?
0: Yeah, he retired once, got back, ret- retired again, got back. No,
1: he it's didn't. the second did second. He? Yeah, this
0: is the second.
1: What? He retired I think twice. he just was wi- he was just waiting it out for a good opponent before, but But he
0: said he retired. What are you talking about? Literally he tweeted about it.
1: Yeah, I think and he's been out since.
0: Yeah, what I'm saying is he's returning for the second time. This was his second retirement. I don't
1: think so. Yeah. I don't think so. I'll, you know.
0: We'll fact check and get back to you next week with the answer. I don't think so. With the uh, answer.
1: I did call who his fight was going to be against.
0: That's a person sipping tea.
1: I don't think the sound effects work as well if you explain them after every single Uh, one. (laughs) But uh, yeah, he's fighting Cowboy Cerrone, which. I don't know. A lot, a lot of people are kind of bummed about. It. They think that it's going to be an easy win for McGregor, and I don't think that's going to be the case. Cerrone has the he has like five UFC records. One of them being most uh, fight bonuses. So mm-hmm. like you know different ones like knockout of the night, fight of the night. You know he's a bunch of those. How
0: much do you think McGregor is going to pay him to to purposefully lose?
1: <laughs> oh no chance, man.
0: <laughs> nah, those, those McGregor's
1: confident. Yeah, but. Uh, he also has the most wins in UFC history, which really? is like a, uh, Cerrone does. Yeah, he's been around forever; he's super experienced. How
0: old is he? You know, uh,
1: I don't
0: know. That's gonna uh, be a sick fight. I would sure. love to watch it.
1: It's it's a good one because I feel like they use Cerrone as sort of like a test for a lot of fighters. You know, if they can hold their own against him, then they'll give him bigger opportunities. Uh, and it's still a dangerous one for McGregor because if he doesn't come prepared, what then, are you gonna say? He did? Oh Loser. Damn. Since the un on retirement. Damn. All right, fair enough. My bad. There was other UFC gossip, kinda sad. Not really gossip but news. Um that uh that fighter, uh UFC heavyweight Walt Harris, his daughter was abducted and they just found her she was killed. And uh that was I mean, that's a little heavy. But that's, it's crazy. It's like you, you, I don't know, for some reason you feel like it is like those sort of things don't happen to celebrities and to, you know, people who are super exposed in public like that, but.
0: That's so sad.
1: It's crazy. I think he asked cops to not arrest the people so he could just kick their ass.
0: But they still arrested <laughs> them. That's not
1: legal. It's pretty gangster, no. <laughs> but yeah, they can't do Can't I would do that, love unfortunately. For that to happen. And since we're on a bit of a fight kick, this one's one that uh, crosses over into from fighting and strength sports. And I thought this was insane. I thought this was a joke when I heard about it, but this literally, actually, just happened. And it's uh, if anyone knows Fedor Emelianenko, his brother Alexander Emelianenko, Emelianenko, sorry, uh, who's a world class fighter, recently I think just got well, was released from prison in Russia, just fought Misha Koklyaev. That's from insane, a dude. Gu- from a gulag, not just prison. From what Russian prison is a gulag.
2: Is that, from that? Is that more intense? Siberian Citadel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you ever watched the what's the movie with uh, Ed Harris, Jim Sturgis. They literally walk from from a, a prison camp in Russia to India for their freedom. They spend four years walking. I think Damn. it's like the long way back or way back. Someone in the audience will know what I'm talking about. But anyway, that's what I imagine in Russian prison. They just their work camps in the middle of the winter and they freeze to death. Well, the, only, the only way they can escape is from escaping
1: into the winter. I'll <laughs> <laughs> turn you into a man real quick. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so, uh, Misha Kokleev is is maybe one of the most accomplished strength athletes of all time. Well, he was at, at one time, he was world class in strongman, powerlifting, and Olympic weightlifting, which is mm. just insane. ridiculous. He was one of my favorite strength athletes ever because he was kind of the first one. Uh, to do both power
0: and weightlifting well
1: he was one of the first who's the maybe the only person to ever be world class in all three of those things but also one of the first people to uh to be online just like doing crazy feats of strength for for likes and views and all that awesome stuff i remember seeing a video of him like way back i mean i was probably in high school just doing no hand squats with 290 kilos and other crazy stuff like that
0: that's crazy
1: But yeah, so he ended up he fought Alexander Emelianenko and uh, obviously lost, you know, which is kind of sad. I would have liked to see him win, but what can you expect? It's like it's like McGregor going and fighting, you know, uh, Floyd Mayweather in boxing. It's like of course he's going to lose. Which yeah, (laughs) but I mean, anyone who was surprised at that outcome of that fight. (laughs) Cry
2: also the movie. You know what
0: this one's called? Cartoon Monster Crying with Pathetic and Sad Moans. That's very specific. <laughs> oh
1: my god, I love it! <laughs> Ridiculous.
0: Uh, okay, that's it for uh, the fitness gossip. Oh, no, we, got, we got one more. What is it?
1: The US Open roster just came oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not gossip, really. I mean, some of these are questionable in the gossip category, okay. but um, notable <laughs> names on the female side. Got Loris Grow coming from uh, Australia in the 132s. There's zero no one twenty-three signed up, which I thought was interesting because that was kind of the main show for the girls last year. Um who else we got here? Maureen, that she's a good lifter out of Canada. Yeah. Um Chloe Van Wick probably has a pretty good chance at winning, winning. it this year. Eh? Yeah. Uh, no, no, Cece, no Mariana, no Steffi Cohen. That's a, those are three big hits to the roster. What else we got?
0: How about on the guy's side?
1: Sarah Schiff is lifting. Hey, she might. I mean, if she has a really good day, she she might be a give Chloe a run for her money. Yeah, she's got a crazy deadlift on her. That's for sure. On the guy's side, let's see. Ross Petkov in the one eighty ones. Cody Blazek in the 181s also. That's gonna. That's a pretty good uh, showdown between those two guys. Um, who else we got? Chad Penson in the 198s. Yuri Belkin, obviously, 142s. I hope someone can give him a run for his money because as awesome as he is seeing him pull our PEA just to win and take the money nuts it's not not the best show I actually like seeing him have to work hard and struggle at Big Dogs you know yeah. and push himself that was awesome yeah I want to see more of that same and oh and Daniel Bell first first time on the the, the big oh no he did he did Big Dogs a yeah. while ago but that's cool that he's going to be in the uh, at the US Open yeah that's a that's he's awesome he might be one of my new favorite lifters same Um. yeah that's That's the U.S. Open roster.
0: That's a T. It's
1: a T. Not a lot of, like, big uh, social media-influenced people, you know? No Larry Wheels, Kevin Oaks, but uh, I don't know. It'll probably still be a good show. It's always always decent. So, what do you got, C? You got a Florida Man story? There's always a Florida Man story.
0: I have one, too. All
1: right, so... Paul Flart, a legend, has been fired from the hospital he works at in Florida for logging his sonically perfect farts on Instagram. <laughs> his name is Paul Flart? Paul Flart. He doesn't want to disclose his last name, so that's his Instagram handle. Oh. For six months, he farted through his shifts at the hospital, posting them on his Instagram, growing a following of 100,000 uh, Instagram followers
0: That's 000? so annoying. That guy has the same wait, amount of
1: followers as me and all he does is <laughs> fart. <laughs> I'm so in this Security guard.
0: Security guard and you got fired for that? Yeah. So Why? Cuz you can't
1: just intrigued. be goofing off farting <laughs> into your phone or <laughs> your Why? whole ship. You're <laughs> supposed to be protecting people. Your security. <laughs> I mean, he's a mall cop. Not fart yeah.
0: and kill no, no one. Wait, one.
1: A mall cop. Wasn't you say hospital? Oh. Oh, hospital cop, sorry. Well, that's kind of serious. I wouldn't
0: I wouldn't I wouldn't fire him.
1: Really? I would promote step, that guy. If anyone just <laughs> walk, if someone walked in here right now and farted, you'd fire Promot them. Bro, what if they're <laughs> farting
0: on their phone in the bathroom? Like that's hundred percent legal. Well, to,
1: it's legal
2: to
0: fire him what? for any reason. In the, lobby. in the lobby? How do you know there's proof?
2: <laughs> there's on Instagram and that he was fighting in the lobby. <laughs> in the lobby? Because he said, he said that it was sonically. I want to
0: look it up. <laughs> like, wow. Paul farts.
2: No. You hire Paul,
1: him to run or,
0: your Paul hospital. Fart?
1: Flart.
2: Paul Flart. The hospital social media definitely doesn't have a hundred thousand followers. Oh yeah, so the
1: hospital—he's verified.
0: Yeah, the fart (laughs) authority—that is insane. Let's hear. Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that's really good. Wow, is that—is
1: that his face stuff? Oh, that looks like a guy who'd do that.
0: Uh, that one was,
1: that was late. That's talent, though. Oh, please. Okay, alright, alright. One more, one more. No,
0: one more. No. This one looks good.
1: No. Oh, that's so good.
0: Wow, wow, wow. That's a talent, man. <gasps> like, I'm gonna get this fire follow. No, no,
1: I'm not. <laughs> Don't encourage that.
0: That was really good. Okay, I have another floor in story to, to wrap the up the episode. Invite him to a podcast and make him fart live. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he, he live streamed him getting fired. So he, he is a genius. Wow. Maybe this guy was just intentionally transitioning from from hospital security staff to clout lord. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. He's gonna sell
1: fart shirts. To social media influencers. That's crazy. Good go one
0: crush that one man alright here we have another Florida Man story coming right at you man dies in explosion after attempting to microwave a microwave <laughs> what <laughs> I mean it's sad that he died well, R.I.P uh, wait, really, wait wait but
1: wait. He, <laughs> okay so here's, even, a,
0: here's a tea it was a Hold miniature on.
1: microwave or a giant one and you put a regular size microwave in it bro yeah, the relative sizes of the microwave are very bro, important let me talk. how big can you get a microwave <laughs> bro
0: let me talk here's the tea Okay, you ready for it? Uh, 25, 6-year-old Bill Davies died yesterday after attempting to microwave a microwave. He was in a video <laughs> call with his friends. And since they were bored, they dared him to microwave a smaller microwave. <laughs> and he did. I didn't really think he was going to do it. He is or was one of our craziest friends who would do he anything was. just to make us laugh. He had a big and a small microwave at home," said Vanessa, one of Davis's friends. He put one into the other and plugged in the biggest, plugged in the biggest one, and then it started. She concluded. He turned it on for four minutes and twenty seconds. We all four twenty.
1: Oh my! This guy was so high. At
0: that moment, yeah, he was blazing. <laughs> but we stopped laughing when he heard the explosion, and the video call stopped. After hearing the explosion, they called the police and found that Davis was dead and his chicken was burned.
1: Oh, did it seriously sign off with "and his chicken was burned"? Yeah, that is. <laughs> he did it to make us laugh. We will never forget about oh, him," no. said
0: Vanessa in tears. Please don't do this at home, kids.
1: Oh man. Well, R.I.P. But R.I.P. I, I kind of feel Bill like
0: Davis.
1: he had it coming. Yeah. If it if wasn't he, that he was one of the craziest. Why? What, what if friends? he turned the smaller microwave on? If he would be alive, if yeah. he only turned, if he tried
2: the microwave, hey. the, the the small one inside of a big one.
0: No, but that's, you're not really microwaving the microwave. Yeah, but
2: you I don't. mean, how, you know, that assumes a. Wait, he turned both on? No, he, he tried to microwave the smaller one. Yeah. He actually tried to microwave it. But if you're, if, if you're that dumb, you might as well have just tried to microwave the small one by turning on the small one and not the
1: big one. I mean, hey, oh, he'd just, be, alive. And be alive.
0: Yeah, but hey, question. Why do you have a big and a small one?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, the big one can one do all microwave. the jobs. You don't need a smaller Is one. Is there a
0: small I've never seen a small microwave.
1: I got a pretty small one in my house. How big? It's like. White sized.
0: Like oh, really? Wow. Yeah, do you, you, have hey, you could fit that in ours.
1: Apartment. It could definitely fit in the one we have in the office.
0: Really? Wow. Dude, that's so weird that you <laughs> have a <my> small microwave. <laughs> That's, that's what get you get know, out of you know, the story.
1: That's what you get out of the story. Well, he didn't is, buy it. No one buys a small microwave. No,
0: it can't. came with a house. I would have thrown that in the trash the first day. <laughs> Who has a small microwave? I like how <laughs> the takeaway insane. from the
1: story is we should
2: try to s- microwave a small microwave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, seriously. Don't microwave a microwave. <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. This was episode three of Hybrid Unlimited. I was your host, Steffi Cohen.
1: Hey, you keep saying host. Co-host.
0: No, I'm the host, and you're the co-host. That's
1: not how that works. <laughs> what you your you host? Host? Have That's your you host. Have you ever seen the uh, the thing with Cristalia when it's when he's talking about the pilots, the co-hosts, and the co-host? He's like, technically, we're both co-hosts, but uh, he just said his name first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's for you. No, that was the joke about the pilot and the co-pilot. Yeah. Oh, and they're then technically he did the, we're the co were both co-pilots.
1: <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah,
0: what's well, a co-pilot for in an airplane? Right,
1: I always thought
2: the co-pilot it was like... for the, navigation, other... but now the electronics navigate. But, but right, they're so both then pilots. You... They're yeah, both but, but one pilots. does a different job than the other one. What, does Are he sure? do
0: nothing? He sits down there no. waiting for the other one to die, which has never happened?
2: No, it's... Uh, he's well, not They have charts and stuff, and they take like out the charts, and they prepare certain things for the pilot. They, they have a role. They manage some of the equipment. There, there used to be like four but, people in there and like an old
1: But jets. that co-pilot okay, might be sounds, a main pilot on another Caesar, flight. Caesar, Caesar, Caesar.
0: I'm going to be, let Caesar <laughs> be the judge here. Caesar, what sounds better? All right, this was Hi- Hybrid Unlimited. I'm your host, Steffi Cohen, and I'm your co-host, Hayden. Or that was the episode of Hybrid Unlimited. I'm your co-host, <laughs> Steffi Cohen, and I'm your co-host, Hayden Bo. That sounds dumb. It's pretty
1: redundant.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to keep saying well, it split like that. It down the
1: middle. Huh? but you gotta split it down
0: Where, you, you why can't there hosts? just be two hosts
2: Yeah, it's not two co-guests no,
0: we're,
2: we're, dude that's yeah. so annoying
0: whatever dude do whatever I know
1: yeah, whatever, <laughs> why are we obsessed with the co?
0: yeah who's on the logo your host <laughs> oh man
1: fine thanks let I'm me, just, have, let me have this one, one. okay you
0: start your own one Let's see hybrid one. even
1: less limited <laughs>
0: <laughs> hybrid <laughs> limited and mine is unlimited you know you understand what I'm saying <laughs> it's limited to you only <laughs> Let's also
1: remember, leave a review. rate five, <laughs> five stars. Oh yeah! Can subscribe yeah. if you're listening. If you liked it, if you didn't like it, just leave us a five-star S- yeah, review. Right? Way, five and we'll catch you next time in episode <sighs> four of Hybrid Unlimited. No, no,
0: no, that's not how the podcast ends. All right, <laughs> that was it for episode three of Hybrid <laughs> Unlimited. I'm your host, Steffi Cohen.
1: I'm actually your host, and uh, <laughs> this and is I the one like- of Hybrid Unlimited. Then I work here.
0: <laughs> thank you guys for listening and catch you guys next time. I'm your host. <laughs> thank you, thank you.
2: I like how the the post-production is literally just holding the microphones up <laughs> <talk> computers. <laughs>